If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Welcome on this final Sunday of our Distinguished Pulpit Series to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Mayflower, please help me give a warm welcome to this morning's Distinguished Pulpit Series preacher, Reverend Matthew Scraper. Matthew joined the Oklahoma Center for Nonprofits as its chief operating officer in 2023 after a 19-year career in ordained ministry with the United Methodist Church. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Liberal Arts and Business Information Technology from Rogers State University, as well as a Master of Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry in Organizational Leadership from Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. Matthew is a graduate of the Army's Infantry, Airborne, Air Assault, Ranger Indoctrination, Jungle Operations Training, and Sniper schools. That's like more school than me. (laughs) Matthew has participated in deployments in Panama and the former Yugoslavia in support of Operation Joint Forge. For the work and ministry of Matthew and for his presence with us today. Will you pray with me? People say, thanks be to God. Will you bow your heads with me? Search me, O God, the psalmist writes, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Just so we're clear, those are their words, Holy One, not ours. We are not asking to be searched. We are not asking you to know our hearts or thoughts. We are not asking you to test us. Thanks, but no thanks. It's not that we're worried that you'll be disappointed. We don't think we're able to hide anything from you. We know that we miss the mark. We know that we fall short. We are all too aware of the room we have for improvement. We're worried about something else. As Marianne Williamson wrote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. 
So if you were to search us, to know our hearts and to test us, we are somewhat concerned that you will point out to us that we are playing small, that we have been shrinking ourselves, staying silent, keeping quiet, dismissing our gifts and downplaying our abilities. We are worried that you will declare with divine confidence that we are indeed up to the tasks of binding up the brokenhearted, healing the wounds of the world, using a gentle word to turn away wrath, and, well, generally doing the other things you've asked of us. Hmm. Grant us the grace to never sell ourselves short, Holy One. We pray in the name of Jesus, who showed us how. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes God's sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I am so excited to be here today. Um, I want to say thank you to Dr. Walkie. Uh, I want to say thank you to you um, for inviting me here today. This is actually only the first time that I have had the chance to share a message since I left the pulpit um, just about six months ago. And it seems like that time has flown by. I was talking, we were talking just ahead of the service about uh, how quickly the summer has gone by. It's almost August, can you believe that? There's been so much that's happened this summer already, um, particularly in my own life, that I've already been excited about. Uh, I I grew up in Kansas City, um, on the Kansas side, so if you are from the Missouri side, that's all right. I'll take a confession (laughs) later today. Um, But it turns out that Taylor Swift was on a concert tour. I have three adult daughters and a wife who dearly love Taylor Swift, and I really am not very much of a Taylor Swift fan. So they got tickets to the, the concert in Kansas City. So I got to go back to my stomping grounds, and I was so excited that they got to go to the concert, and I was so excited that I didn't have to go to the concert while they were at the concert. It was a great time. And then things only got better, right? Um, I was sharing with, uh, with them before the service that I've always, I've always considered myself to be a huge Billy Joel fan. 
I, I mean, I, I can sing probably most of Billy Joel's songs until this year, until this summer, when my wife um, bought tickets for us to go back to Kansas City in August and see Billy Joel perform at Arrowhead Stadium. And that was the moment that I realized he was still alive. Um, <laughs> I did not know that up until that moment, so I've decided that I need to work on being a better fan. But <laughs> as excited as I am about how the summer has gone, uh, as, as much as God has been doing um, in our lives and in this, in this place uh, throughout the course of this year, I have been most excited about being able to be here with you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I love this passage. Um, Part of the reason I grew up in Kansas City is because my father was also a United Methodist minister for 44 years. Um, Dad was an overachiever. He had two master's degrees and he had a doctorate and a PhD. And so he taught Koine Greek, which is the, the version of Greek that the New Testament is written in. And he loved this passage. He loved this passage because it was such an amazing example of how easy it is to misinterpret passages from the scriptures and take what is said out of context. Be perfect, right? Seems like the bar is being set pretty high there. Not only are you supposed to do things well, no, you're supposed to be perfect. And just in case, as Jesus does, because Jesus tends to answer the questions that we should have asked, and so uh, just in case you're not sure what the bar for perfection is, Jesus goes on to say, oh, don't worry. The example for the perfection you're supposed to achieve is God. <laughs> well, the word for perfect there is teleos. And teleos translates better to whole, complete, or mature. Which is what perfect would have meant, I think, when that phrase, that word, was originally translated to perfect. Today, if I tell you to be perfect or you tell me to be perfect, you probably think of doing things without, without doing anything wrong, doing everything absolutely correct and absolutely right, whatever that means. But that's not what that meant, and it's not what teleos means. It's just what that word has come to mean for us colloquially. That's why the Common English Bible today translates perfect as complete. And that says something different to me when I read that that way. Be whole. Be complete. Just as God is whole and complete. I believe that the love of Christ is proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional. And I believe that it has to be shared non-judgmentally and non-coercively, else it is not the love of Christ. Don't take my word for it. Go and search the Gospels yourself and see what that example comes out like. I want to focus on what a whole, complete, and mature love does to make safe space available for the work of reconciliation and justice. Scriptures are holy, and before we consider them, we should pray. Would you do that with me? Creator, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here today to 
share in a love of who you are, what you have created, what you are creating, and what you have yet to create in, through, and with us. We pray this morning that we would feel the presence of your love, maybe even in a new way. Healing, where healing is necessary. Guiding, where we're unsure of the way forward. And connecting, where we don't even know yet that connection could matter. Open our hearts today. Amen. In 1982, Pat Potts had an idea. She was someone who was passionate about the good work that nonprofits are doing uh, in the world, but particularly in the state of Oklahoma. I came to realize that my favorite thing to do was to be a, a part of what people were doing to reach out and walk together with marginalized and oppressed peoples. And so when I had the chance to go to the Center for Nonprofits earlier this year, I could not have been more excited because I am so grateful for the good work that nonprofits are doing. Pat knew that. But she also knew that the nonprofit sector has long been overlooked as one of the most effective sectors, uh, not, not even in Oklahoma, but around the world. Did you know that the nonprofit sector in the state of Oklahoma employs more people than the oil and gas industry does? Did you know that the largest subsector of the nonprofit sector is the faith-based subsector, which annually in the U.S. brings in, people give about $135 billion a year to the work that faith-based organizations are doing in our country. Not all of those organizations are working for the same end. But she knew, she knew that the nonprofit sector was a sector that was working to make the world a better place. But she knew that also the nonprofit sector needed some help. It's often overlooked. People often think that nonprofits shouldn't have nice things. And she didn't believe that, so she began an organization that would help nonprofit organizations to better understand how to run themselves, how to govern themselves, how to live into better business practices so that they could find the processes that would equip them to do the things that they wanted to do to make a difference in the world. One of the things that I say often, because it's been true for me, is that in our sector, in the nonprofit sector, we are full of people with a lot of passion and not always a lot of business sense. So in 1982, she started what would later become the Center for Nonprofits. Interestingly, it was in 1983 that Frank Cox built a building. Frank Cox is not a part of Cox Communications, but he would later sell that building to Cox Communications. You can find it today. It's right down at 8th and Lincoln across from the OU Health Sciences Center. Cox would sell that building to the American Red Cross, which would then remodel it and add to it again in the early 2000s. But a few years ago, um, we had a pandemic, and that pandemic, in my humble opinion, didn't change things so much as it sped up 
a lot of things that were already in the process of happening. And so organizations like churches that were already seeing substantial shifts in the way that we've done the things that we do saw those shifts speed up. We were already, for instance, working to stream in the church that I was in. We were doing that before the pandemic. We taught courses on doing that before the pandemic. But when in March of 2020, when I had one Sunday where our, our congregation was full, and the very next week we realized we could not gather together that way, and so I was there alone sharing a message for the first time in my life to an entirely empty room. It is so strange to try to speak when nobody is there. hard. But the very next week, we sped up the process of trying to figure out how to connect with people and found that there was a huge community, not just in Oklahoma or in the United States, but around the world that was seeking connection. The pandemic changed some things. It caused the American Red Cross to restructure and in that restructuring, they ended up with seven employees in a 50,000 square foot facility. And they said, we just don't need this anymore. Now, one of the great things about the nonprofit sector is that um, organizations that believe in what you're doing will often gift things like buildings. And so we were gifted at the Center for Nonprofits, the American Red Cross building. And Pat Potts came back, I almost said Ray. Ray and Pat are both amazing people. And as amazing as Ray and Pat are, Pat is a force of nature. And so there she comes back at 42 years, or excuse me, 41 years after starting the Center for Nonprofits, after working in it for over 10 years without a salary, and then handing it off to a group of other strong women leaders who have led as CEOs of this organization now for 41 years. She came back into the work of the organization and decided that nonprofits, in fact, should have good things, so she raised money to remodel that center. There's a point to this story, I promise. <laughs> Today, the American Red Cross remains one of our tenants. We moved in last week. Thanks to the generosity of some amazing people who recognized a need because of what they were hearing on the boards that they served on, that there wasn't adequate space, that nonprofits were having to designate too much of their resources to uh, having spaces to, to, to meet and to do office work and to try to host fundraising events. So when this remodel, we moved into the building a, a week ago, we'll start hosting events later in August, which apparently is a very exciting month. 60% of that space is available for use by nonprofit organizations for free. We have co-working space, conference space, event space, collaboration space. And I thought that was cool. Now I know this because I've given 100,000 tours of that building in the last six months. I could give you the whole script if you want to hear it. I was excited about that. I think it was cool. 60% of the space, right, that is available for free use by nonprofits. We hosted a, a sneak peek the other day for some CEOs and executive directors of nonprofits um, around the state of Oklahoma. We had a whole bunch. I think we had like 200 people show up. And as we were there, I was sitting there greeting people uh, at the front door. 
uh, I like to talk to people. I think I like to talk in general, but I just like to talk in, to, to people. My wife um, always used to joke, and she regretted that she could not be here this morning, but she always used to joke that if you put me on an airplane, I will get off the airplane um, having met the people next to me, and I will probably be officiating their wedding. She would just tell people that. <laughs> then I kid you not, uh, about a year ago, she bought something off Facebook Marketplace and told me I was going to pick it up. I met a really nice couple and did their wedding two months later. So. <laughs> I was standing there at the front of the, um, the center, and I was just greeting people and talking to people, and they were walking through, and I was giving my speech, 60% of all the things, you just heard it like three times from me, and as people are walking out, um, there are people who are brought to tears, which I was not expecting, I was not anticipating that. I asked, you know, uh, wh what do you think, what's your, what's your feel about the place, are you going to be able to use it? Oh my gosh, yes, I am so, uh, I'm so tired of trying to carve out space for a board meeting at Golden Corral, or we're going to be able to sell, or not sell, but um, not renew the lease of the office space that we've been using because we don't actually need office space until we need office space. Uh, so they, uh, you know, we're going to use the office space here. I, that, that made me feel good. Did not make me feel nearly as good as when I ran into uh, Stephen and Gabby Butler. Stephen and Gabby Butler have worked really closely with Scotia Moore around issues um, at that lie at the intersection of race and philanthropy. Particularly in the northeastern part of Oklahoma City, where the demographics are different than they are in other parts of Oklahoma City. The nonprofits that operate there, many of, uh, in fact, I think, uh, with the organization I'm about to share with you about, the entirety of that organization is made up of nonprofits that are run and staffed by people of color. Gabby and Stephen are people of color. Gabby used to work for the center many years ago, and they had a, an idea as they were listening to Scotia Moore talk uh, to, to bring together uh, conversations, people to be in conversations around race and philanthropy. They thought, you know, how amazing would it be if we started a northeastern Oklahoma City incubator project where we were able to um, bring uh, organizations led by people of color together to help them better understand how they can have access to resources. And Stephen reached out and said, hey, we need a place to meet. And I said, I would love for you to meet in our place. And so over the course of the last three or four months, Stephen and Gabby and I have been meeting and we've been working with their first cohort of the Northeast Oklahoma City Incubator Project, which is working really closely with the Northeastern Oklahoma City Renaissance Project to fight gentrification in that part of the city. Everybody in that first cohort and now everyone in every subsequent cohort will get membership to the center for free, have free use of that space, and will now be hosting conversations with some of the key donors and philanthropists in Oklahoma City, together with the people who are running those organizations in northeastern Oklahoma City who have not had a seat at that table. And I just can't help but think, because I'm excited about that. That's probably what I'm most excited about, about what is happening there. And so I just can't help but think. 41 years ago, when Pat decided to try to find a way to create a space for nonprofits to have access to better resources, or when the American Red Cross bought a building 
And then later, when the American Red Cross gifted that building to our organization, I just cannot help but think that each one of those steps and the others that I've, done, that I've identified that have led us to a place where we've been able to partner with such amazing organizations, amazing organizations like the Northeastern Oklahoma City Incubator Project that I didn't even know existed six months ago. I just am amazed at the proactive work that the Holy Spirit does to create safe spaces for the people that God is guiding into the work of reconciliation and justice, particularly within marginalized groups of people, to be able to come together at the right time. I doubt that 41 years ago, Pat expected that that organization, the Northeast Oklahoma City Incubator Project, would be a thing. I doubt the American Red Cross thought it would be a thing. I'm pretty sure Gabby and Stephen didn't know it was going to be a thing 41 years ago because they would have been like three or four years old at the time. <laughs> but it is. The love of Christ is proactive. And when we pay attention to the nudge that God's spirit offers in our spirit to go do this thing. I don't know why God wants me to do this thing because I can't see where it's going. You know, half the time, if I knew uh, the entirety of God's plan before God chose to unfold that plan in my life, if I knew it sooner, I'd mess everything up. So I know that when we follow the nudge of God's spirit working in our spirit, we end up being a part of what God is doing to proactively create a safe space for that work to not only happen, but to continue in the future. I want to share one more thing with you, if it's all right. Probably will do it anyway, because I'm the one with the microphone right now. <laughs> I was sitting in my office at Southern Hills United Methodist Church in 2018. And I had just finished watching this really cheesy Christian movie um, where somebody's really frustrated because they didn't go to, into ministry to do administrative work and work on budgets, right? And I was sitting in my office and I was working on budgets, you know. And I was like, God, I don't want to do this, right? And I, I promise, and then the nudge, I'm just going to translate the nudge that I felt in that moment, right? The nudge sounded something like, yeah, I don't really want to do this either. And, and I'm like, well, what should we do? And God's nudge comes back with something like, let's go into a homeless camp. And I'm like, God, I don't know, I don't know how to be a part of walking together with people who are experiencing homelessness. And I get this nudge, even stronger, that would have sounded something like, that's okay, I do. So I started walking into the homeless camps along the I-233. offering uh, food, offering meals, offering sundry items and toiletries. Uh, we partnered with a local veterinary clinic. You wouldn't be surprised if you're unaware um, how important the pet community is with, uh, within a community of people experiencing homelessness and how difficult it is to get access uh, to good care. Um, so partnered with them, the uh, Oklahoma City Pet Food 
pantry would come out and offer food. We even found a couple of um, hairstylists who would come out and um, offer hairstyling once a month or so. It was an amazing experience. We did this down at Stockyard City until the city kicked them out last week um, after having been there since 2018. They'll now be working at Exchange Avenue Baptist Church um, doing the same thing. But here's the thing. When we were ramping up and figuring out how to minister together with people who are experiencing homelessness in the Stockyard City area and we were finding resources and it was growing more rapidly than we had the resources to be able to fund. We had a lot of meetings. Fortunately, they all went well because church people never disagree with one another and so (laughs) we got everything solved in record time. One of the things that we were uh, (laughs) disagreeing about was whether or not to have some kind of a Bible study or Holy Communion or something like that during this time and in that space. And I'm going to tell you, my, a good friend of mine, I brought him on staff at that time, Bo Ireland, who now runs the Lazarus community here in Oklahoma City. Um, he was helping me to do that. And we are talking about it one day over coffee, and we're like, this is, did, the idea of doing that just doesn't sit right in our spirits. Fortunately, um, it did sit right in the spirits of a lot of the other people in that meeting. And so we were at a little bit of an impasse. But fortunately, we were able to work with uh, Skyline Urban Ministries, who was also one of our partner agencies. Deb Ingram, a dear friend of mine at the time, was the executive director there and had a wealth of experience ministering with people um, who are dealing with food insecurity as a daily reality. So we brought her in and she talked to us and we, we were at one of these meetings and um, this, this topic came up. And she just listened. Deb just listens, but not very long because Deb speaks up really, really quick. She's one of those people that knows what she knows, and when she knows it, she's going to say it. And most of the time, when she says it, it's probably going to lead you in the right direction. And so she listens for a minute. She speaks up, and she's like, why on earth would you do that? And everybody got quiet, and she said, listen, while that seems like a good thing to you, right, now, you're, you're a Christian, you identify as a Christian, so you enjoy the rituals uh, and the sacraments, you enjoy the Bible study. It seems like it would be a good thing, right? Um, I, I'm a firm believer that doing things with the best of intentions is great, but it's even better when your actions line up with your intentions because you can still cause harm even with the best of intentions. And she said, you know, I... Um, I can't imagine why you would do that. She said, when you, you do something like that, it's because of how you identify and because it seems like it's a good idea to you. But she said, let me tell you what you're doing there. If you try to do something like that, even if you make it optional, you're guilting people into doing something to get something. You're sharing the love of Christ, but you're doing it coercively. You're not getting it because it seems good to you. She's like, don't do that. Sometimes you got to bring in somebody else to say the things that your own community won't hear. So we didn't. We didn't do that. And it was actually after that that the, the growth of that outreach exploded. Now that's a terrible thing as much as it is a great thing. And here's what I mean. It's a great thing because if there is a need, we want to be able to be a part of walking with the people who have that need and those who are trying to be a, a part of alleviating it, but every nonprofit wants to go out of business. Every nonprofit wants there to not be a reason anymore for them to be in existence. 
The love of Christ is unconditional. It's proactive. It will proactively create a safe space for the work of reconciliation and justice. But it will also remove the conditions that keep people from feeling safe in that space. Sometimes we don't even see those conditions because they don't affect us. Because through the lenses that I see the world through or the lenses through which you see the world seems like a good thing and we don't even realize sometimes that we're putting conditions in place which is why it is so important to welcome other voices. It's one of the things I love about following you all on social media the way that I do. If there is a congregation in the metro that is an example of how to do that well, it is this one. So I just have two questions for you. Where is it right now that God is nudging you to go and be proactive about creating a space that is safe, about participating in helping a space to be safe? the work of reconciliation and justice. Or maybe this. Where is it that God is right now asking you to see the conditions you don't see? To listen to the voices that would tell you if those conditions weren't keeping them from doing that. when it comes to being a part of what God is doing to remove those conditions, together with the people who know they're there, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. God, we are immeasurably grateful for your love. We don't always realize or understand, even and especially with the best of intentions when we try to share that love, that we may be doing it in a way that communicates something other than your love. So I want to give you thanks, God, for people with good hearts and good intentions. I want to give you thanks, God, for hearts that want to seek you and want to be a part of what you're doing to redeem brokenness in the world. So help us with those hearts to be able to open our eyes and more importantly open our ears to listen to the voices that would tell us if they could how we can remove the conditions that we don't even see as present in your name we pray amen You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. 
More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.